Let's get it started. Yeah. Let's get it started. Everybody. 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 Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I am Kate. And this is The Remeditated. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. That's what, that's what we're singing because yeah. we've been just shooting the shit here for about an hour. And now it really is time to get this podcast a roll in. Yeah. And I'm all jacked up on candy corn and Reese's. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cup. It's that time of year. Did you get the pumpkin ones? No. Just regular Reese's this time of year? What's yeah. wrong with you? Jesus, I didn't realize it was it's such a thing. I it... thought this was a safe space. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> I like the candy corn pumpkins. This no. is no <laughs> Candy corn, I know. let alone candy corn pumpkins. I know. Oh my bark. God, it's amazing. They're larger, so it's more candy corn that you have to choke down. Yeah. It's so good. I will say candy corn with peanuts, like a piece of candy corn oh. and a peanut. That's a good comp. I'll do Oh, that. I just like straight candy corn, man. You know, if you, I'm trying to remember. There's some hack where if you like melt candy corn, it tastes like Butterfingers. Ooh, maybe that's why I love candy corn so much is because I also love Butterfingers. Yeah. So there might be something to it. Huh. Yeah. Right. So there right. you go. All right. He's going to come in and see me melting down bags and bags of candy corn. (laughs) You drink this. (laughs) We're asking questions and eat it. I put some melted candy corn in your smoothie this morning. (laughs) He's got like, he singes his tongue. He's like, smooth it. It's hot. It's melted. (laughs) You melted the candy corn. Now my tongue is on fire. But then I like brush my teeth vigorously and mouthwash like for an extra oh. minute before I go to bed because I'm so afraid that my five thousand dollars in dental work oh, is gonna, gonna go down the drain. It's gonna reverse on itself. Yeah, the yeah. yeah candy corn. I mean, it's like little sugar yeah. corn. So when my dentist is gonna be is like, uh, do you eat a lot of sugar or drink like, soda no. or something? I'll be like, no, mm-mm, nope, no, not none me. Of that's changed. No, not me. None of it's I changed. am real healthy. I don't drink soda. <laughs> So I got that going for me. Well, thanks for coming back for another week. Last week, I was in Ann Arbor visiting my team. I'm wearing my awesome new sweatshirt, premeditated sweatshirt that my fantastic team got for me. Which your team looked adorable. You have no idea. There, I posted videos, guys, but my team is the shit. And I only I only met a third of them. So I have a team. Part of my team is in Ann Arbor. Part is in Carrollton, Texas, and parts in here in. Uh, Minneapolis. And this was my first time meeting my Ann Arbor team. And I, I love my entire team. I'm like so fucking lucky. I have the best team ever, but my, it was so fun meeting the Ann Arbor team for the first time. So cute. They are, they picked me up at the airport with a hilarious sign, which is now hanging at my desk at work, which, which said, Katie, welcome home from prison. And they were like yelling things (laughs) like, we know you are innocent. (laughs) I couldn't get you for it twice. As I was like approaching the car, it was hilarious. That's amazing. It was so fucking funny. They're oh. the greatest. Yeah. And so then we got to go out. We went to a nice steak dinner. We did an escape room. It was a short week, but it was it was fun. So sorry we didn't didn't record last week. And then this week we decided, Kate and I decided we're gonna switch our schedule up. So rather than recording on Mondays and releasing on Thursday or Friday, we're going to start recording Wednesdays and releasing on Mondays, hopefully on Mondays. It might be like, it might be on Sunday. I don't know. It it just depends. We have to figure out how, 
how it looks. We don't have to commit to a schedule yeah. for you people, <laughs> but we'll see. No. We'll see what this week looks like. If it's like maybe it'll be Saturday, maybe Sunday, maybe Monday. I don't know. We'll we let, like to keep it fresh. Yeah, we, we like to keep it a little, it little wild. A little keep bit. you guys. Keep you guessing. Or as my aunt Kate used to say, who am I named after? She used to say, uh, you can't be so loud and honest. You need to have a little mystery. Okay. So there we go. To make myself marketable to men. <laughs> as you like, do. As you do. Yeah. And you can't be loud if you want a man. I remember when that I, makes sense when you say it. <laughs> when I was, yeah. Oh, so we are here five days before Halloween. I can't believe it's coming <gasps> up. I'm super jazzed. It feels like I blinked and October is over. Because I was like, yeah. October's my favorite month, and here we have five days left of it. And I'm yeah. like, what the hell happened? But after Halloween, the Christmas decorations get put up immediately. And Ooh. and it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> More importantly, <laughs> it's Kate's birthday. Uh, and as a birthday present That's to true. myself. Like in a week and a half. Yeah. As a present to myself, guess what I did? What? Scheduled a mammogram. <gasps> Get those boobs smashed. I, I literally that put too. that on my calendar. I need to do that too. My work calendar. Yeah. I'm well, you. you don't need, you, you need to get it done annually when, after you turn 40. Yeah. But my, I have a history. Or if you have it. a history. Of, so, yeah. so we have a history in our family. Anyway, we have a history great. of sassiness. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Sassafras. We got a history of that in the Kirk family. Anyway, oh. I am excited for your case. Yes, I'm very excited. It's it's just that it's that spooky, eerie yes. time of year, you yeah. know. Yep. Oh well, today I am actually bringing us to Washington. And what? I, know, I know, I know Washington is going to be a state that we do more than one of because yes, because I have one for some, Washington. Uh, my cousin Danielle wants to do a call in or she'll do when she visits next, she'll do Washington. She's got one for Washington. She promised me that she was going to come in person and take off her shirt. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I, um, a couple weeks ago went to uh, the bookstore and just was perusing and got an Anne Rule anthology. Oh, Anne Rule. Rules the, the yes, the queen <laughs> of true crime. And I just hope everyone knows you might recognize Ann Roll's name because, like, first and foremost, b- because she worked on the Ted, Ted suicide Bundy. hotline with oh. Ted Bundy. Yeah. That is not why. Like, that's just a caveat. To that's just who like she one is part. As I mean, she person. had so she was a true crime writer, and then that just happened to happen happen like yeah that like, just happened to which th- is crazy that's not what spurred her yeah. or you know it might have been part of it but like she is a badass incre- she was an incredible author her daughter's a really good author too i i th- think i remember you saying that but i i love ann rule and i was like looking through the true crime section and just decided i was like i need to get another ann rule anthology that i don't have so I picked one up and there were several because, you know, she's based in Seattle. So she's got tons of, or she was at one point in time. Um, I yeah. Think later she moved to California maybe, but I can't remember. Yeah. And well, she wrote, pri- she wrote primarily about crimes in the Northwest. Yeah. Pacific so, Northwest. So a lot of stuff in Washington in there. And then, um, so the one that I chose is about a couple named Burl and Olive Bramhall. Which, like, Burl? That's a name! Olive. That's like Burl Ives. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh Burl Ives saying, like, a holly jolly Christmas. Rudolph Have Roy a holly yeah, jolly. Just, yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Um, so, yes, Burl and Olive Bramhall. Going back in time. Going, going I love these. We're rewinding <laughs> clock. She, she's, she's literally doing <laughs> 
she's literally doing the hand motions. I wish people could see. They could see my dance. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because right. <laughs> I'm watching it, <laughs> and, and I don't like it, and I don't want that for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> best for you and it is not yeah, it is not the public. i'm just being a friend like that's all i mean uh so we're going back to 1978 burl and olive were very sweet burl was 85 and olive 83 that's this, the year that uh keith was born 78 really oh really yeah well here he's we an go. oldie but yeah, he's an oldie but he's like a fine wine i told him uh did you know that the new prime minister is younger than you and yeah, can you imagine how that feels? Is someone that scary? That like that like, will happen to us soon. telling me that Margaret Thatcher was younger than me. Oh my god, that will be a, a thing that happens to us soon. Yeah, yikes. Uh, so they lived in Windermere, which maybe you know that area. I do. Apparently, it's one of Seattle's most wealthy areas. Yes, it's where Windermere real estate came from. Oh, yeah. it's, it just sounds fancy. Windermere. So Burl's life and Olive's. But Burl primarily, his life had been one of giving philanthropy. He was like Aww. well known in the community for being like a fucking awesome guy. So he started studying at the University of Oregon. But when Go World- Ducks! Yeah, yeah you know. But when World War One started, oh my god, he he had to, he dropped out and started working for the Red Cross. So oh. yeah, this is like seriously the sweetest story you'll ever hear. So. He worked for the Red Cross during World War One, and during his time with the Red Cross, he helped to bring 783 children out of Siberian Russia oh. and reuniting with family. So during like the Bolshevik Revolution and the civil unrest right. that was Russia right. during that time, which was like, you know, very scary. He basically helped people, helped kids escape Russia and reunite with their families like in Europe. Oh. So um sounds like a good guy. He was like he he was like this was so throughout his years afterwards he kept in contact with some of these kids and they would oh. they write to him like as he was as if he was their dad like papa they oh. call him and and so these kids like 783 kids they were all like his so children. This dude made a real difference in the world. Yes, he was I a, mean all of our victims don't nobody deserves to right. be a victim, but but like he was a good fucking guy. Yeah. Um, so in 1973, they actually, him and all of, so Burl and Olive visited the USSR, um, and he was reunited with, oh, there they like go. a big reception and Burl, they like surprised Burl and reunited him with 200 of the kids that he helped 200. to save 200 of them. Oh. Um, his mailbox was continuously like filled up with letters from children that he had helped save. And like I said, they called him like Papa or Godfather or like they, they basically, he, he treated them as if they were like all his own kids. Oh. That's so, so awesome. Yeah, so him and Olive, Burl and Olive did not have any kids of their own. I'm not really oh. sure why. It doesn't really, I mean, but there's many reasons. Usually back then it's it was a because, medical issue. Yeah. Like, so they didn't have any kids of their God own. God knows like, there were plenty of people having kids that didn't want kids. Right. So after World War One, he returned to school and he finished his degree in accounting. And then he started working in investments for the Marine National Bank. He met a man named Stein, who he partnered with for over 30 years at a joint investment firm, which was called Bram Hall and Stein. Stein retired in 1969, but Burl didn't. And he like basically never retired. He worked for a company called Blythe and Company up until his death. 
So he was 85, still working as an accountant. He just was a hard worker. He didn't want to retire. He always wanted to be busy and doing something. So Burl and Olive were basically known in the neighborhood as being just like the sweetest couple. They were known for being like night owls. They they would stay up late. They were always helpful. Like everyone in the neighborhood absolutely adored them. They would often like go out in the evenings, like dressed to the nines. They loved their drinks. They loved cigars. They liked treating themselves and they didn't have any kids. And so like they were They were, they just like were living their best life, even in as, you know, 80 year old people, you know, mid eighties, they were still like living. It's called the dink life. Yeah, exactly. Double income, no kids. That's what, that's what you can do when you don't have kids. Yeah, I live the dink life. You do. I I tell you, it's dink and sweet. It's dink and awesome. I do it. I do admire the dink life. Like I will say that's, that's. I love yeah. my child, but I'm like, yeah, Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. it's it's definitely very sweet. Although we do uh, pour fortune into our dogs. Which, yeah, that's true. That is true. Which is also ridiculous. Also, <laughs> the furry little children—they're really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the neighborhood knew that the, that Burl and Olive were still like very much in love. They still Aww. like they were always kissing or holding hands or just being very affectionate because they, they just, don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it back to the fact that they did not have children yeah they, they still love each other and the focus is on each other because they don't have kids. <laughs> exactly yeah so it was late in the evening on august 2nd near midnight and neighbors noticed that the light in the bram hall's home was on still they didn't really think anything of it because like i said they were known to be night owls they would stay up typically like it was known that they would like have drinks right. you know, they'd have their right. cocktails and then they'd like watch the news till they'd late. go to a they'd, key party yeah <laughs> like yeah <laughs> party they were swingers swinging they weren't swingers as far as i know i mean that's not what each to their own to each their own i'm not sure it hasn't happened to us yet (laughs) but i'm still holding out hope i'm just saying we're having in a couple weeks we're having a A progressive dinner dinner. progressive dinner i'm gonna try it out i'm gonna try it out i'm just gonna give pam and aaron a little tap and see if they're interested (laughs) we're joking like what if we get there and like someone brings out a hat and starts putting keys in and we're like, oh, it's that kind of party. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you say? You said, I get James. Yeah. <laughs> no. Didn't no. I said Corey? Corey. Oh, yeah. Corey. Oh, Corey. he's a tall drink of water. He's like 80 feet tall. Like, yeah. He wouldn't want to <laughs> yeah. try that out. I'm climbing anyway. like a tree. Yeah. <laughs> and I can and say that because I know Addie's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Well, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, the neighbors noticed that the lights were on, didn't think anything of it. Now, early in the morning of August 3rd, it was it was just after midnight. Someone called the police and they said that there had been a double murder. What? At 6647 Windermere Way, which was the address of Burl and Olive. That was it. They were that like, was it. Been a double murder at this address. And then the line went dead after it was reported. Well, thanks for the info. Could you expand on that a little bit? The caller was like, a man, but there was no discernible accent. There wasn't, and you know, like, they, I guess, like, they couldn't trace calls at this time. So right. it's just like. Right. Yeah, they couldn't unless they had it hooked up. Right. Like they did with David Mirhoff. Yeah, right, right. That's right. So the police arrived to the address and made their way around the house. The lights were on. The front door and the sliding side door was open. So between the kitchen and the foyer, there was the body of a woman, and obviously that woman was Olive. Um, she was fully clothed, and she had been beaten really, really badly. She was caught by surprise because she fell to the ground basically so quickly that her arms were still underneath her, and her wig and her glasses had been knocked off. So her wig was lying beside <sighs> so her. So she was totally were, blitz attacked. She was blitz attacked, exactly. Yeah. Just beaten horribly. And the autopsy showed that she had two significant head wounds. One was on the back of her head. 
So that one appeared to be like a surprise. Did they, could they tell if it was like a sharp edged instrument? They said it was a blunt object. Blunt. Yep. Like a Um, bat or something. Yeah. And then the other one appeared to have happened as she lied on the floor because it was like on the side of her head. Oh God, they kept hitting her? Yeah. So two times, once on the back of the head, once on the side of the head. So they didn't want to, they didn't just want to stun her. Like they wanted to kill her. Yeah. They wanted to kill her. God. And it's so personal. Like just. Like beating is soap. Like our last episode, like beating, hitting someone three, you know, a hundred times or whatever, even hitting them twice. Yeah. It's just, you have to be close to them. Yeah, you have to be close. Like that's why there is something to be said about like hand-to-hand combat of war where you actually have to see someone's face when you're like, because nowadays you can just drop a bomb from like some room in Washington, DC and it kills people halfway across the world without seeing their face. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still there's still combat, but like, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, without the, seeing that face to face, like you don't really see the effect of your actions. No, no. And so, yeah, the fact that you're beating an elderly person too, like somebody that's like an old woman, like the most helpless of victims, other than children, very like, vulnerable, just, vulnerable victim, just yeah. tragic. So the police continued looking, and Burl was found in the garage. The garage door had been locked, so the door between the house and the garage was locked. But they got through the door, and he was lying dead next to his parked car. That's. I just wonder if they heard each other scream or like, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Once again, similar to all of Burl, was fully clothed. He was still wearing an, like a very expensive watch. He was also beaten badly as well, so bad that you know, similar to. Olive with her wig and her glasses, Burl's dentures had actually been beaten right out of his head. Oh my God. So he was beaten badly. And he had four bad head wounds. And similar to Olive, the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. So police called for homicide detectives to come around 2.30 a.m. on August 3rd. So it was like pretty quickly after the bodies were found, um, detectives arrived. The garage had room for two cars, but only one car was accounted for in there. So they checked on vehicle registration records and found that Olive had uh, owned a blue 1976 Oldsmobile Omega. So the police put out like a be on the lookout, a bolo for that vehicle. Or as those of us that are familiar with all the lingo like to call it an APB. Yeah, and exactly. You know, as us like detectives. APB, bolo, you know. Stat. All that other lingo, Uh, unsub. Get your um, unsub, um, (laughs) get your squad ready. Like, yeah, you know, just motive, opportunity. I rest my case. (laughs) (laughs) Too late. You can't double stamp it, double stamp it, no erases. Yeah. (laughs) The coroner arrived around 5 a.m. and was able to estimate the couple had been killed roughly 9 p.m. the following evening. They searched around the home and the sun was starting to rise. So they were able to search like the areas nearby. And in a vacant lot next to the home, the police found a sledgehammer weighing around five pounds. And it had clearly been the murder weapon. It had blood, hair, and brain matter on it. Like, just so... Our listeners know a sledgehammer, which I'm sure any any one of you with common sense knows what a sledgehammer Uh, looks like, but it's not a hammer. It's not like a little hammer. It's like what Thor has, right? It's like, (laughs) Like, right? Oh my God, of course. Yes, yes, Katie. Yes, it's a golden, (laughs) massive sledgehammer that shoots off sparks. (laughs) 
and can well, move in between dimensions. That's exactly it. That's exactly what it is. No, but they use, in all seriousness, they use sledgehammers. Like, construction crews use sledgehammers to, like, bust through walls. Like, concrete. Yeah. Property Brothers. Yeah, exactly. They or at least the, the one Property Brothers always got a sledgehammer. Oh, God. Boink. I don't, like, do I have a sledgehammer? I don't even know, like. What yeah. I have one for. I So, yeah. In addition to the sledgehammer, they found a fire poker, which oh, was missing God. from the home. So, police were stumped, you know, as to motive because there was no, no robbery, except for the car that was missing. Like, they didn't take Burrell his watch. had his nice watch. The couple had a ton of nice jewelry on them still. Plus, nothing of value was, like, evidently missing from the home. Other and it than sounds like car. weapons of opportunity. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So it's like you could have found a sledgehammer in the garage. Yeah. And then a fire poker inside. So he probably went to the garage first. Yeah, might be honest he, Yeah. I think I I I cracked the case. <laughs> case closed. Oh, <laughs> uh, so after speaking with the neighbors, it sounded like the housekeeper actually would use the vehicle. So they they that was like an explanation for why the vehicle might not be there. Apparently, um, she would kind of use Olive's vehicle as her own. She and they were kind people. Yeah, and they were so. kind people, so they just like let it happen. They would. She'd drive it home at night and back to work in the morning. And also, it didn't look like the killer had broken in. So the couple clearly let them in their home. Like doors were unlocked. There but was they were, no forced entry. I mean, if you consider the era and you consider that it's Windermere, which, yeah, is a very wealthy area of Washington State. Also, just that they were such such unassuming people. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure even if it was a stranger, you know, they could be selling magazines and they would open their door. Like, well, this is going to like, this is, this is a totally not a relevant fact to anything because this man was not part of the crime at all. But the next morning, like around 9am, a man came to the house. He was like very worn looking homely. And he was from an organization called the millionaires club, which would just, which was a club that would help people who were down on their luck. And it would like employ them to go and do work at literal rich people's houses. Yeah, I've heard of and the millionaires. And it was called the Club. fucking millionaires club. Yeah. Is this still a thing? That's oh around? no 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 no. Oh, you've just heard about it. In, like, yeah, the no, I yeah, it was a thing. I'm like, like I, what? What a slap in the face! You're yeah. part of the millionaires club, but you're poor as fuck, and you can't yeah. afford like any clothes. Well, it was probably also a scheme. Like it was a scheme to make money off the backs of the less you're fortunate. Probably right. They probably and, it was probably like a subcontractor situation. Yeah, they would charge, yeah, and like, LLC. fifty dollars. And yeah. give this guy like five. Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh my yeah. god, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, so this man arrived, and he apparently had been employed to do some work around Burl and Olive's house. Whatever happened to just club. going to the Home Depot parking lot, man. <laughs> right? And playing like those fake violins. Yeah, have you, have you been scammed by those? I sure have. Oh my. <laughs> person's box and then like you thought they were an actual buster i I thought that they were like super good at playing the violin oh Oh, well i guess whatever you're pretty that's all that matters (laughs) (laughs) uh so around 10 30 that morning 10 24 to be exact esme svenson arrived at the house and she was the housekeeper she arrived and was like clearly shocked to hear that her employers had been murdered. Um, they walked through the house with her and and were like, you know, can you tell us anything that's missing or whatnot? 
And she said that the only thing that she could note that was missing was the fire poker, which had been found oh. in, in the, the lot next door. Um, she said that she had previously lived with a couple, but recently moved in with a friend, but um, that they would still let her use the car every night to drive home and, and drive back to work in the morning. She said that they had a burglar alarm and it was loud if it was ever tripped and they were very religious about using it. So like, she was like, oh. if they, if, if this was a burglar, like the alarm would have gone off. If this was some sort of intruder, right. The alarm would have been like, they would have, it would have gone off and it, it clearly didn't. So well, again, and even back then, like think about how they're not, they weren't very advanced burglar alarms back yeah. then. It still would have like she any main entry, any main entrance points it probably would have been set off. Right. So I, I think it's safe to say that she opened the door. Yeah, yeah. Somebody opened the door. She went over the previous day and she said that she usually get to work around 10 AM and would leave around 8 PM. The previous day, Burl had been gardening all day. Oh, Burl and all, I know. I know. What is just gardening? Just and then, gardening. then um, Burl and Olive, as was typical, would have cocktails together around 6 PM. Oh. In their den. Oh, in their den. While watching the news together. It was probably like steps down. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Like lush brown carpet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like a fireplace with like those big like slate. Yeah. Like like pieces of slate on it. Yeah. Totally mid-century modern is what I'm picturing. (laughs) Got that mid-century mod vibe. Forget the murder. Let's talk about architecture. (laughs) What does the house look like? Let's Google the address. (laughs) Is it for sale? So then after, you know, cocktails in the den while watching the news, they would have dinner at seven. And that was, you know, that night around seven or so is when they they started eating. So they ate and around 745 that night, uh, Esme reported that a man came to the door and asked if he could borrow a ball peen hammer. And she was like, she was like, I'm not sure who it was. But she said when Burl came back to the table, he commented that the man had just been released from a mental institution. Okay. She wasn't sure who it was, but she was aware that there was like a troubled boy in the neighborhood who had lived with his mom and that his mom had recently killed herself. Oh. So she was like, I don't know a ton. You know, I don't know the details, but this is what I do know. I was like, there's a troubled boy. This is what what Olive and Burl were talking about. And so she didn't have a ton of details, but she did relay that information, which is like obviously concerning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing that she told him about that. After dinner that night. So after he came back from lending the ball peen hammer, Burl asked like he did every single night to Olive if it was okay if he had his nightly cigar. Oh, he asked if it was okay. Every night. Um, I forgot to mention the cigar was found next to Burl's body. So he was like... Oh, he was so like, he was probably just tinkering out in yeah, the garage just, with his cigar. He had his cigar. My so, dad used to smoke while he fixed the lawnmower. Safe. Which is... I know. Real uh, safe, Dickie Poo. Jesus Christ. The things our parents got away. I can't believe our parents are alive, honestly. I can't like, believe we're alive. Yeah, I can't believe. That's, that, is like, really, yeah, like, that is the mystery of life right there. Like, my mom used to just be like, kids, get out of here. And like lock us out of the house, and then she just didn't give a shit where no, we went. Right. Like it, yeah. We managed somehow. Yeah, somehow swimming in have- irrigation ditches with. <laughs> Stay away from the end with the barbed wire. <laughs> like it, I made I just, it. I made it somehow. Then- so she said that typically after she left, and that night she left around seven fifty. She would go. Um, she would leave, and they would go into the den, and they'd watch TV usually until about eleven thirty at night after the evening news. And wow, that's late for eighty some right? Yeah, I, that is that's late for me. That's I mean, 
Agreed. Like it's nine Agreed. and it's late for me. I went to bed at 6 p.m. Monday night and last night. I hate, I, I hate that you don't have children and yeah, like yeah. I resent you for it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad. Um, <laughs> I uh, the feelings mutual. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't resent you at all. Yeah. <laughs> I love my life. Uh, yeah, because I had allergies. And so, uh, or I have had, have, actively have allergies. And so, um, yeah, I took a Benadryl, took Fuck. some Bennies and some melatonin, and I was out. I And I'm not going to deny it. It was wonderful. Oh, my God. And then when did you wake up? This morning at 730. So you literally slept for over 12 hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Like, that's a fart in the wind, man. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Because then you, you still woke up at a reasonable time. Yeah. For, I, I don't like it when I <clears throat> sleep in, t- like, late. Like, I don't like, yeah. I like, but going to bed early, that's actually, that sounds ideal. Since my heavy partying, since our heavy partying days are over. Sleep <laughs> um, for yourself. I don't, I don't yes, really no, sleep in no. that late. I'd not past nine. No. On the I, weekends. I just like, like to get up and do stuff. Yeah, yeah, I just automatically wake yeah, up. Yeah, I know. Same. And I'm just like, oh shit, it's light out. Right. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> I've got things I want to do. <laughs> so yeah, so they would stay up until like 11:30, and she said that that night she locked up when she left. So she said the doors were locked. She didn't mention mm-hmm. anything about setting the alarm, but she said that the doors were locked when she left. So that morning, while police officers were at the house, the house phone, you know, they they had it set up in case anyone called, and they did get a couple of random calls from their the couple's insurance agent who was stunned again to hear of the couple's death. Um, they said that Burl had reached out to him regarding some new insurance policies on jewelry, but he also noted that Olive had recently filed a claim on some earrings that she thought had been stolen by their previous housekeeper, who Ooh. they had fired in March. So, you know, they're kind of, the police are putting things together, like Esme had a key to the to the residence. Right. So they were like, did this previous housekeeper have a key to the residence as well? And maybe and they she probably like, thought nothing of it. They right. probably just thought, well, she's got a key, but she won't try anything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the police are like, huh, maybe that's that's a potential lead there. So, of course, the police, like, first thing they did was, like, walk around the neighborhood and talk to the neighbors. You know, just remember that Esme had mentioned, like, talk of a troubled boy in the neighborhood. Well, that came up frequently like many people mentioned there was a troubled boy and this troubled boy from the neighborhood his name was angus mcfarlane and he had been in and out of mental mental institutions since his mother did you almost say menstrual institution let's try this again (laughs) i want to go to a menstrual institution i know wouldn't that be great (laughs) one one week a month everyone gets to go hang out we're gonna eat chocolate we're gonna yeah. watch movies you get to i don't have you periods want. anymore but i sure get the hormones oh god yeah. i just want like a, a nice heating pad some good food and just to like sleep oh i just want With, pasta. Like, honestly if men had periods we would absolutely have those menstrual institutions would yeah. absolutely be a thing oh you get benefits oh for like it. One, yeah like, one week a month oh we're not working oh like, the work no. month would be three weeks a month so this poor anyway, kid so he'd been so this troubled boy from the neighborhood was Angus McFarlane, and he had been in and out of mental institutions since his mother's suicide in 1975. So it was 1978. So it had been about three years. So he wasn't in an institution before her suicide. Correct. It oh, was just, that's really 
That's sad. Yeah, it gets this. A lot of the story is is about this gentleman, and I'll talk at length about him. Now they call him a boy, and you called him a gentleman. So which is it? How old is he? He was in his early twenties. He was twenty two or twenty three. I can't quite remember which it was, but he was like college aged. Okay, and uh, so he was recently released from a mental institution, but his therapist said that he should not stay with the McFarlands. He should not stay at the parents' home. Oh. I think I don't know if it was because like that is like it probably was traumatic because his mom triggering triggering but they were like he shouldn't live there so angus's dad told him he could come and gather his things he was going to give him a little bit of money and he could stay at a hotel but he was like you you cannot stay here so angus spent the evening of august 2nd with a friend they were together from about 9 p.m until midnight his friend had picked him up at the mcfarland house so next right next to olive and burl's house around nine and then dropped him off at a hotel around midnight. He said he was in good spirits and they like went out and got like food together. And Angus was like acting completely normal. Um, in addition, Angus's stepmother. So Angus's father had remarried right. by this time. Okay. It had been three years um, and he had remarried. And uh, his stepmother said that she heard from a friend of Olive and Burl's and that this friend had said that she spoke to Olive at 9.30 p.m. on the night of the murder. So she was like, there's no way Angus could have done this because he was out with a friend after 9 p.m. Right. Someone spoke with Olive at 9.30. So, like, the timeline doesn't right. match. So they're like, he's, he's fine. So this information seemed to eliminate Angus as a suspect. And they kind of were like, okay, sounds good. Like, we're on to the next thing. Wow. Yeah. They quickly moved past him. However. They didn't even question. No, like, they didn't even question it. Wow. Okay. So the woman, the friend of Olive, who said she spoke with her at 9.30 p.m. Later was like, you know what? Actually, I had the days wrong. It was like it was like two days prior. It wasn't at 9.30. It was at a different time. So damn it, Mildred, get your facts straight. She she said that she was like basing it off of what show was on TV. Which I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. So she was like, it was during this show, but oh no, on Tuesday night, that show was actually on at 8.30, not 9.30. So it was like, one of those I was watching Dragnet. Exactly. Yeah. So after this came to light, the police knew that they needed to talk to Angus, but they couldn't find him. <laughs> they couldn't find him. Of Angus. course they he, couldn't. He wasn't at his parents' house. And it was like, you know, it was a time before cell phones and stuff. So yeah, he had just been released from a mental institution. He was told he couldn't stay at his, his parents' house. They knew where he was staying. Like for one night. He was questioned was. in a grisly murder. Yeah. So and then yeah, he's, he's just not around anymore. Yeah. So at that time, Angus became a prime suspect. They went to hotels and places for like homeless. And he was always just like, and it didn't seem like even it was intentional. It just seemed like, okay, he spent one night at this place. He spent one night at the next place. It didn't seem like he was running away really. It just right. sort of like he was just, they, they were just one step behind. Yeah, exactly. Just by circumstances. Yeah. So in searching the Bram Hall home, the police located a ball peen hammer and they're trying to figure out like, why is this ball peen hammer here? If Esme said that that somebody had come to the house and asked asked for right. it, asked to borrow it, right? The only reason it would be back there is if that person returned. So the police are again like, was this Angus? Like, did Angus come like and ask for this hammer or bring is it back, it, or did Esme get it wrong? Yeah, or did Esme get it wrong, or was it this other housekeeper who maybe yeah. had a vendetta against them? But the the ball peen hammer was located there now. In addition, another neighborhood woman reported that she had been getting several prank calls lately. And they were like really creepy. Someone telling her that she was evil and then would just hang up. Whoa. So 
she was like, I'm not sure if this is related, but like, you should know this. Like I'm getting these weird prank calls. Someone's calling me evil, hanging up the phone. And it just seems really bizarre that this happened after that. Right. So let's talk a little bit about Angus's childhood since he's the kind of prime suspect here. Growing up, he was very privileged. He, he seemed to have it all. Um, everyone thought he was going to become something big. He graduated high school with honors. He was popular. He he was active in debate. He went to Claremont College in California. And oh, ex- that's a good college. Yeah, and yeah. then was accepted to study European studies in Oxford. Whoa. So he had like, everyone was like, he's going to be a, a big, like they thought right. he'd become an attorney. And they, they were like certain that he was going to like, go places. And right. He seemed to have it all. He was going to be a star. Yeah. He was going to be a, you're going to be a star. I man. love, I, I love it when you do this. <laughs> gonna be a star. <laughs> and I literally on the big screen. hear that voice right before I go to sleep. <laughs> Every night. I know it's probably because you're outside my window whispering. <laughs> yeah, you hear it because like, I come over every night. Yeah, because you come like, over. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. Time to go to kids' window. Would it be the first time you come <laughs> over my window? Tap, tap, tap. Hey. Hey, hey. Rosie, are you in there? Love me. <laughs> Love me, Rosie. <laughs> bitch. Uh, so when he was 20, unfortunately, like I said, his life changed forever when his mom committed suicide. At that time, he started showing signs of manic depression and paranoia. He started talking about voices in his head. Schiz- that's what I was going to say. Schizophrenia presents yeah. in those young men. And he was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Oh, and so, kid. like, it's it, it's hard to say that, like, the, the suicide was the cause of it. But, I mean, maybe it was, like, a trigger for a pre-existing. Because, obviously, his mom was mentally ill. She yeah. committed suicide for, for one reason it's or another. It's usually a traumatic event. And they, yeah. 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 It's just devastating. So yeah. So he like, it, it was, it was like overnight, everything changed. Um, he had several suicide attempts between when his mother committed suicide and, and this incident. Um, and he was basically like, he got kicked out of halfway houses. He had violent episodes wherever he stayed. He had, uh, like I said, a, a habit of petty theft from stores. And so he'd been, to prison for things like that he was in like a psychiatric oh, uh, facility in it. in jail until august 2nd so he was finally located at the mission house which was like a, a inexpensive place to stay uh on august 5th so he came into the police station without any incident and he seemed happy he seemed completely fine he went over the day's events said that he had been his dad's house all day on august 2nd uh, till about 8.45 when his friend picked him up and was just lounging around the house reading Newsweek is, is the magazine he, he mentioned. He specifically mentioned Newsweek. Yeah. And he was like, he was a good kid up until, you know, up until his mom committed suicide. He was like, well loved, well respected. So he had like a couple of good friends that just didn't want to give up on him, it seemed. Yeah. And so one of them was the guy that he spent that evening with. He had another friend, a girl who who like spoke very highly of him and was just like, listen, he he's been through some shit and he's, yeah. he's troubled, but he's a good, he's got a good heart and he's a good person. But it just like made me feel, I, I don't know. I feel for Angus, honestly, this, this whole thing is, is like, he's, I mean, he's mentally ill. Like he had everything going yeah. for him. And then this horrible thing happens. And right. honestly, if she killed herself due to mental illness, it could have been hereditary. Yeah. And she did. It sounded like she, like she had suffered with 
either with depression or some sort of manic depression yeah. her entire life. And she, she just one day like walked off the top floor of a building and killed herself, oh, which Jesus. is like, not that there's any good way to do it, but that's graphic. Oh, yeah. Right. That's just everything about it is just awful. So in, in questioning Angus, you know, Angus said he had nothing to do with the killing. Uh, he didn't, you know, didn't have anything to do with their murder. Um, he said he hadn't been in their house in over two years and he even volunteered to take a, a polygraph test. Um, he said, like, it wasn't him who had asked to borrow the hammer earlier that day. And until they could arrange for the polygraph, they released him. Because they had nothing to hold him on other than, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, just yeah. a few. They, they had nothing to hold him on. So that's, yeah. So they let him go and were arranging for a polygraph test for him. And remember, this was on August 5th. Now, August 8th, so three days later. Angus called the police to tell them that he had information on a murder. So oh, Angus. Yeah. So before they could even do the like typical niceties or read him his Miranda rights or anything, Angus just started pouring his confession out. So he gave details about their injuries and how he killed them. And like all of them matched exactly. So he talked like he was like Burl's, you know, Burl's teeth had I hit him so hard that his teeth had fallen out. He talked about the specific position of their bodies. I have like a question. Falling off. Yeah. Um, don't they have, to, aren't they obligated to stop him and issue his Miranda rights? So yeah, exactly. So this is, was considered an excited utterance. And so, because he just like started like literally just right. like, right. and they didn't have time to stop. Like they couldn't, they literally physically could not stop him. But as soon as he's like, as soon as they could, they said, stop, we need to get down to the station. Yeah. Um, so that's when they brought him to the station, read him his Miranda rights and, and let him talk. Um, so Angus said that he had started having hallucinations about a year and a half after his mother's suicide. He said voices were telling him lots of horrible things that his neighbors were evil, that they were doing evil things. Oh, evil's an interesting choice of word. Yes. Because that's he what, was calling. And that's, yep. he admitted, like, it was him that had been making those phone calls to the neighbors because he thought that everyone in his neighborhood was evil. So he said that the voices told him that Burl was aware of, like, events that would happen before they happened and did nothing to stop them. So he's okay. like, he knew about you know, this thing and didn't do anything to stop it. And he knew about this horrible event, like this plane crash and he didn't do anything to stop it. He's just absolutely evil. He needs to go. Oh man. So that was what he, that is what he went with. You know, he, he thought he was doing the world a favor by killing Burl and Olive because he thought Burl was evil according to the voices in his head. And the sad part is it sounds to me like Burl and Olive are the kind of people that would understand. That's, exactly exactly what uh ann rule said she's like yeah. the saddest part is that they would have they would have taken him in they would have like taken care of him and they were known to give him feed him meals especially right after his mom committed suicide they did a lot of caring for the family and oh. bringing them food and bringing them meals and so you're absolutely right that's exactly nobody wins like yeah. nobody wins in that case and and uh, you know especially with mental illness that's... well this this gets even sadder oh no so the no! saddest part of all this God. is that Angus tried to get help. So, oh, of course, it, oh. this is like, this is horrific, honestly. So Angus, it was clear that Angus was mentally ill. Like the district court judge who sentenced him to time for the petty theft or, or whatnot said he needed to stay in jail because he was a risk to himself and to the community. Said he should not be released. 
for some reason, he was released on August 2nd. For some reason. It's always like there was an error in the paperwork or there's overcrowding yep. or... Oh. Yep. And so there was, there was like, there was no determination as to why it happens, but it sounds like probation officers just ignored the judge's order for some reason. Oh my God. So hindsight's 2020 though. Right. Maybe and they were doing things a certain way for years and years and years. And then they have the one person where it doesn't turn out right. So the probation officers were like, okay, we're going to release you. However, you need to check yourself into a mental facility. Yeah. Like today, like yeah. you, you, you're going to be released from this psychiatric, you know, jailed facility, but, but you need to go to like get help. So that's what he did. So his parole officer brought him right to a hospital. I think it was the Western state psychiatric facility. Okay. Brings yeah. him right to the hospital and says, this man needs to be admitted. He is not well. Like he just he was, he was just released from prison. The district court judge said he needs to stay like locked up. Essentially. He needs to be admitted. The hospital said he wasn't sick enough. Yep. And refused to admit him. They talked to him for 75 minutes. So like, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and apparently they said that he just needed a friend, a job and more medication and to come back to start and, you know, to increase his dosage of different medications the next day. See, now that, like, the releasing him thing, that should happen. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes it's just, we say in hindsight, like, oh, that's terrible. They shouldn't have done that. Like, mistakes happen. That's yep. just what, that's life. But that, the hospital, unacceptable. Mm -hmm. That's your job. That's and, and it turns out that, like, 70, I think that, like, Obviously, there was lots of investigation into what happened, yeah. like where where this went wrong. 85% of people seeking voluntary admission at that hospital were granted voluntary admission. So they were like, what the fuck? Like, this guy Because he has a criminal it. background, probably. Yeah, like, maybe. I, I, and they're knows? like, we don't have the resources, you know, to, to retain someone with a criminal background. Who knows? Who knows? Right. But it just, almost everyone who asked for help got it except for him. And what happens? He fucking slaughters two people. Oh, but, and I would think like with, with, unless he didn't show any external signs, although according to the neighbors, he was just an odd, he, he definitely did. And he's hearing these voices and he yep. thinks that they're telling him these things and he's calling women and calling them evil. And, you know, you would think there's, Hey, there's all these signs right in front of you. It's not just some kid who doesn't want to do his homework. Right. Like this is a seriously mentally ill kid. Absolutely. And like <sighs> the, they just ignored it. And so, you know, the parole officer didn't know what to do. Cause he's like, well, shit, like I, I was tasked with bringing him here. They're not admitting him. So he's like, yeah. well, fuck my hands are tied. So he's like, yeah, Here's they some are money. Go back, go to your parents' house. And like, like, dude, to have figure it out there. He's got 15 other cases sitting on his desk exactly. that he has to, like, where he can actually do something about it. So he literally yeah. gave him a couple bucks for bus fare, got him on a bus to his parents' house, and was like, see I think later. the onus is on the hospital. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, he got to his parents' house, but, but in, you know, in investigating as much as was capable at the time, it sounded like the hospital was under budgetary restraints. Perhaps Angus was masking his illness was, was the excuse that, that came out, but it was, it was clearly a, a huge mistake on the oh hospital's part. Gosh. So he did, you know, he returned to his parents' house and that was when he decided that he needed to kill Burl. 
he went to ask to borrow a hammer from Burl that evening, so just he like was Esme. The one. Yeah, just like Esme said. So he went over, uh, asked to borrow a ball peen hammer, got it. But after he got it, he realized it was too small for what he needed to. Right. Do. Yeah. So after the maid left, he was like kind of keeping an eye out. So he watched. And after Esme left, he went over again and asked for a larger hammer. And Burl came to the door. He was smoking a cigar, got left, left his wife in, in the den, you know, where they were watching the news. And Burl said, you know, I have one, but it's in the garage. So Burl uh, went into the garage and Angus followed him. Burl gave him the sledgehammer. And when he turned to walk back into the house, Angus started beating him with the hammer. Oh, Jesus. So he beat him. You know, he said he hit him like once or twice. And then he went into the house and he asked Olive for something to eat, which she gladly said she would do. But she, so she turned around to go get him something to eat because that was the kind of person Olive was. She turned to walk into the kitchen to get him something. And as she turned away, Angus hit her in the back of the head. And and that was when he hit her so hard, her wig flew off and she just like fell, you know, fell down immediately. He left to go back to his house to wait for his rent, his friend who was coming to pick him up and, and who he hung out with later that evening and started to wonder if the couple was dead or not. So he decided he was going to go back and check. Oh, he went back. So that's when he he grabbed a rock from the front of their house oh. and then the fire poker from inside the house. He wasn't sure Olive was dead. So he used the poker and the rock. So she remember she was hit once on the back of the head. Right. But apparently he used the rock. And then also the poker. I'm not sure. Like it was only shown that she was hit twice. So I'm not sure if he, what he did with the rock and the poker, but he used them on, on both Olive and then Burl as well to like, make sure that they were dead. Maybe he just poked them with the poker. Yeah. I know. Like, right. Like, which is disgusting, but so he rinsed off the weapons in the couples. The couple had apparently like a nice waiting pool. Burl and Olive had a nice waiting pool in front of their home. He rinsed the weapons off. He went home and he put his clothes in the wash. He put his bloody clothes at the bottom of a trash bin, never to be found. And then went and, you know, tossed the sledgehammer and the poker uh, and probably the rock as well in the the vacant lot next to the house. He said his friend came to pick him up and then they went out for burgers and malts and that was that. Well, you have to say, I mean, you have to point out that, like, it's not like it was an extensive, well thought through. No cover-up no it was just or like crime even and it's, it's so clear that it's it's mental illness like there's clearly like a break because yeah. he 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 then just like cleaned up and went out and had dinner and yeah. was completely normal and completely fine and probably in his mind he was like oh the voices are finally quiet like yeah. i did what i was supposed to right yeah right and so angus felt bad like of angus, course he angus did. felt bad about it he yeah at, at first he pled not guilty by reason of insanity but he quickly changed his plea to just guilty. He was just like, I fucking did this and this is terrible and I feel bad about it. Um, because schizophrenics are not like psychopaths. Like, right. He, I'm sure there are yeah, psychopaths right. out there that are schizophrenic. Yeah, but, but like a schizophrenic does not make a psychopath. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just like it, it, some are, but some are not. And yeah. It's just, it's not one thing. It's, it's not a really people. common illness. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. And so um, they, they determined that he was sane to to stand trial they said sure. he was sane at the time it was like the mcnaughton test is is whether or not you oh, i was gonna ask you that yeah. or like you prepared for the crime oh, or premeditation like cleaned, up, cleaned yeah. up afterward like did you did you like 
realized what you were doing enough to like try and hide your actions and stuff. And so they were like, he cleaned up, he like hid the clothes. Right. So like he didn't, he, the way he behaved, it was clear he knew what he did was wrong. Yeah, he it's wasn't not like, insanity. He didn't just leave and was like, cool, you know. Yeah, it's so, it's yeah. They, I mean, it's it's again, it's schizophrenia. That's not insanity. No, like you can have a very clear thought process. No, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, he just like what he was doing wasn't logical. But no, he knew like he was killing people. But he can't he can't differentiate between reality and you know right. Well, what seems to be his reality? Yeah, that's oh god. Yeah. So he felt remorse for what he did. He actually asked for the death penalty, but because of the mitigating factor being his mental defect, he wasn't eligible for the death penalty. So he was not given the death penalty. He was given two life terms, you know, to be served back to back. In prison or in a mental institution? In a mental institution. Oh, well, at least there's that. Not that those places are great. Yeah. So in December of 1978, so, you know, like a couple months after he was... imprisoned and and sentenced uh he attempted to kill himself again by slashing his wrist he was supposed to be in a psychiatric unit but had been moved out of a psychiatric unit into general population wasn't being observed at all was like it's just like again like someone forgot to file the correct paperwork and he was like in the wrong place so after that he was transferred to the psychiatric unit i can't find anything about where he's at or what he's doing or what his life looks like now i searched extensively and even um and rule in her book she changed his name because she was like i don't feel right using his name when i don't think that he like he really truly understood what he was doing here um but I'm using his name because he did, he did do it. And like, I, I, and And he's probably just plagued with guilt. Yeah. And like like he, I didn't, I don't think there's a reason to hide his name in this situation, but, but I couldn't find a single thing about, I found one picture of him from, and I think it was him. I, but I searched newspapers as far back as I could look and, and I couldn't, I can't find anything about where he's at or what he's doing or the last newspaper article about him was him trying to kill himself in December 1978. And then after that, it was like, he fell off the face of the earth. So I don't know where he's at. I don't know if he's still in prison. I don't know if he's alive. alive. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's real sad. Like, it's so sad because the victims were so wonderful. Like, yeah, girl and all seemed like, I mean, they didn't seem like they were, they were seriously good people. Like Burl helped 800 kids. Yeah. Find their families and escape a, tyrannical government and yeah. and olive seemed just was like a pleasant woman who would literally who, who search like go go find a meal for a kid who was just troubled and literally just got out of prison who was you know, being a mother for the children that she couldn't have exactly like, and, yeah. and and then you got angus who just like he he's a victim here too i mean he lost yeah. his mom to suicide he you know suffered serious mental health issues he's a victim of our system yeah and then like tried to get help tried to admit himself to a hospital and they just said sorry you're not sick enough i wish i could say it's gotten better but i I don't think it has i'm like okay this is 1978 but honestly like that could be today because like this isn't mental health but it's i mean similar to it i have a family member who struggled with uh and you know struggle with addiction and uh back eight years ago or so when when we found out that she had this addiction and we needed to get her into a detox facility. Yeah. I called, I spent hours calling around to try and find her a bed in a detox facility. 
the closest one was like six hours away that had a bed. Yeah. Everywhere else was like booked out for weeks. And I'm like, this is, are you serious? Like, yeah. What do you mean? This, this, she needs help now. She doesn't need help. So the options they were like, the options that they gave were like, well, you can help her detox your, I'm like, no, I can't she's detoxing off of serious drugs. Like this this isn't something I'm capable of. And like, I could kill her. Like, what do you mean? Do it yourself. Like this isn't a DIY thing. And then finding uh, like an actual in or outpatient facility that would take her insurance was like this huge thing. It's just like she didn't get the care that she should have gotten. Thankfully, she's healthy now. She's like doing great. But unless she was determined, like she didn't have the cards were stacked against her because the system like fucked her over. Well, and I, you know, recently discovered that, you know, my 78 year old father was, uh, you know, he has all these health issues now going on. And one of them's dementia. And he has panic attacks and he has gotten to the point. Like, I, I think one of the things that happened to him um, was he described it as he was in a nightmare and he couldn't wake up. Like, so he was awake, but he couldn't get out of the nightmare. That's horrible. And so he's literally having an episode. Um, he's mentally not well. Right. And my stepmom's trying to get him, uh, into a facility and they're like, no, like we can't, we can't take a dementia patient. Like we don't, that's different. That's different than like mental illness. And he, but he has mental illness also. Then they were like, you need to be referred by an emergency room. So she took him to an emergency room and they were like, we can't refer him to a facility because they won't take dementia patients. Oh my God. And I'm like, so you're telling her she has to take him back home while he's still having this episode, uh, you know, just, I don't want to go through all the physical reactions he had to it and like emotional, but like he was not well no, and she wasn't qualified or comfortable in handling this kind of thing. She didn't know what to do. Right. He's physically very weak. So she's like, how am I supposed to handle this? And they just sent her home. Right. It's like, help, like help it's it's and nobody wanted to help and it's so frustrating like it's so yeah yeah, this was in 1978 but things are not like our system is broken it really is and it's really unfortunate because they're we're the richest country in the history of the world and we can't solve what i think are like pretty basic yeah problems like i don't care yeah and mental health aid and yeah things like that just so yeah, get off my soapbox. But that's yeah. how I feel. If we rule yeah. the world, when I'm president, we'd be bankrupt in a day. day. <laughs> but yeah. Zulily? Yeah. <laughs> Three million dollars, Madame yeah, President. But, but we, yeah. But, but why we, do you have all these Amazon Prime packages? <laughs> like filing out at the front six gate. Million to you know, <laughs> to our veterans. <laughs> No, that doesn't count. No. <laughs> Not when you're spending an equal amount on yeah, Amazon Prime. On Amazon Prime. It was Prime Day, okay? <laughs> I wanted some toe socks, even though I have web toes and I can't wear toe socks. <laughs> the idea was there. The was idea great. was there, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that is the really sad story of Burl and Olive, Bram Hall and Angus McFarlane. Just, just tragic all around, but I am checking Washington off of our list, but I know that there will be more Washingtons to come. Yeah. But yeah, so we've checked Washington off of our list. Our, our map is, is, you know, filling up, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, I wrote 
and yeah, I submitted an Amazon review on uh, those the stickers. stickers. Like just and to be clear, yeah, it I'm is waiting, not all 50 states. I'm, I'm waiting for them to publish it so I can post it to our Instagram. <laughs> it's a rather lengthy review. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, he <laughs> is a writer, so it's bound to be hilarious. <laughs> there were only like four people that reviewed like the stickers. Did, like the the stickers like rated the stickers and then one person submitted a review and her name was Kate. <laughs> I don't have my real Kate. I don't have my real name on my profile. So <laughs> but uh because I like to criticize things anonymously. So <laughs> I got kicked off a of next door, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> and Borg Panda. Yeah. <laughs> I I tend to be argumentative. Shocking. <laughs> Like a keyboard warrior. I am. <laughs> well, oh. thank you so much for sharing that case. Yeah. I think it's important. You know, that's why we do these cases, not just because they're interesting, but also because they shine a light on different aspects. Absolutely. Of, uh, that, you know, none of us can change, uh, you know, entire systems, especially as archaic as, you know, the justice system and healthcare and stuff like that. But you can vote. Kate, but you can it's your civic <laughs> duty. It is. I don't vote in local elections. That's a fact. There, I said it. There. But explain uh, why, because honestly, I do like your reasoning. I am not informed. I am not well informed because I choose to not be well informed. And I feel like that you should not be voting if you're not well informed. And it does not interest me. I, I don't care. Um, I personally feel like it does not make a damn bit of difference what I do. And did you get the voting scorecard in the mail yes. this week? What did it say for you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Mine was like very good. Mine's because mm. I vote every election. I, oh, I spent. Oh, then it was way better than mine. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Mine's mine's great. I literally have. Like, how much do I care? I literally did not look at that and threw it in the trash. Like, oh. uh, yeah. I was like proud of mine. I'm like, well, look at that. It's like a badge of honor. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't, I have opinions on politics, but I generally keep them to myself yeah. unless I feel like I'm in a safe space. And But uh, Kate does vote in every presidential election, I do. which is good. I do. Good. It's just the stuff in between. Midterms, Kate's like, what's the midterm? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just really, I mean, I watched the Bill of Rights video when he was a little cartoon character. I'm just a bill was... down on Capitol Hill. Yes. I'm just a bill <laughs> down, down on Capitol Hill. Hill. That's a great song. Yeah. So um, you're pretty informed is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> I, see, yeah. I see all these signs everywhere and I'm like, oh, they've got a cool name. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, ooh, that color is pretty. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a the, font on that. I yeah. mean, if I voted, it would be the same way I do my March Madness bracket. And that's like based on looks. It mainly based on college names that sound pretty like Wake Forest. And you're like, that's good. Yeah. Well, that and, you know, what's really worked out for me uh, the last, you know, five years, six years or so um, has been uh, that my family are Oregon Ducks fans and diehard Gonzaga fans yep. as well. So as long as they're good at basketball, I will always win. But uh, yeah, I, I do mine based on like hairstyles. Yeah. Every year I do something a little bit different. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I'll do hairstyle this year. Or... <laughs> Like how nice their teeth look or things how like the, that. How their butt looks in yeah. those shorts. <laughs> I don't, yes. yes, I am that person and I feel bad about it, but I actually don't. So no, there's that. No, <laughs> and I don't feel bad about not voting. I, I know that that's appalling to some people, but the thing, and you know, like, well, you can't complain if you don't vote. I don't complain. Yeah, that's true. Like I, 
I, I just don't like, do I think it's sad that some things are happening? Yeah, I do. But I also think that most politicians are shady ass people. That's very, so and that's a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle doesn't matter. sitting on. They all suck. They all have more money than me. I know that. <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you guys for listening. Please like us, subscribe, tell all your friends, go on to Instagram and follow us at premeditated podcast bound to be some good stuff on there. Kate's going to post the review of the stickers. So, I mean, you want to follow for that and that alone. If they approve my review, like, I didn't use any swear words or I did not use my typical words, despicable, tragic, <laughs> demeaning. I left those ones out. Feel free to shoot us an email. We love getting emails. Thanks, Sin City Chris, Uncle Chris. Uncle Appreciate Chris. Appreciate him always. Always. But feel free to shoot us an email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, tell your folks we says hi. I keep thinking of it. I listen to the song. There's a in there for sure. You don't know.